0: the beauty of those lyrics is when is now it's every moment it's every moment every moment is now so Matthew 5 I promise we will be moving on to chapter 6 next week lord willing if we come together um i know some of you are probably thinking we have been on this passage for 3 weeks now um, and I, I it's been difficult to just rush through it um, Matthew 5 verse 43 through 48 it's been difficult to rush past this section in preparation and so I have assumed that that was the Spirit directing us and to take it slow. Because I think, as I've said over the last three weeks, including this week, that we all know this saying love your enemies. But I think we undermine it. I think we, as we said in Sunday school, we know it, like we know the speed limits fifty-five. But do we understand it and know why it is good for us? And so we are coming to the conclusion of it this morning as we really focus on the last three verses um, of this section. But let's go ahead and read it one more time this morning and then follow with a quick prayer. To ask the Lord for some help. Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and We call upon your spirit to lead us through your word, to reveal to us what you have called us to. God, and to enable us with your power to do what you are calling us to do. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. So we can look around at the world and see there's division. On many topics. On many fronts. A lot of division. And one of those topics... Is love. We can look at a world... Who's redefining... God's... Definition of marriage... Of relationships... And ultimately... Of love. It's very obvious. And for people who stand against that redefinition that redefining they stand for God's intent we are cast out as unloving it's quite ironic Uh, and so there is this division being made But based on Scripture, based on what we've talked about the last two weeks and what we will talk about this week, love is supposed to divide the world. But not in the sense that people would assume Christian love divides. Yes, it's hateful. It puts on burdens that people cannot handle. It casts people aside for... The way they think they are. Love from the Christian perspective. I mean love of the the Christian love from the world's perspective definitely divides. Because it's actually hateful. But what Christ wants us to understand as he discusses love and calls us to love. Is that he calls us to a love that makes us separate from everyone else. He calls us to love in a way that other people do not actually comprehend and understand and even consider. The last bit of this section is making a distinction. That there are those who are striving to love like Christ as they follow Him and there are those who don't those who aren't There's a people living their life seeking the interest of others As we saw in Philippians 2 there are others who are living their life counting others more significant than themselves And there are those that aren't So there is a what is the big difference What's the common denominator? And we looked at it last week. They are born of God. They are born again. They are, as the theologians say, regenerate. They are a new creation. They are made new. First John 4 says, whoever loves, and I don't just mean in a general sense or in the way the world describes it, but as in God describes it, as Jesus is calling people to love, whoever loves has been born of god so that's a big distinction that's a big separation and what we have to be careful of what the church has to be careful of is a watering down of that truth that there is among there is in christianity a supernatural aspect That makes it different from any other type of religion that could be thought of. And that is the spiritual, miraculous working of God within a person to make them different. And we can't undervalue that. Because when we do that, we will then act like the world. Or we as a church in whole undermine the new birth of being something that is a divine work of God within all who believe, then our churches will start to look like the world if we undermine them. And our pews will fill, and they will fill full of unbelievers. The church is built, we we are the church being built up as the temple of God, meaning not that just Christ and His Spirit dwell In this building when we come together, but that he actually dwells in each one of us. And therefore, the distinction is made, and we are called to love as he has loved. Now, in in preparation this week, I I picked up one of my Puritan paperbacks um, by Hugh Bining Uh, a Puritan from the, uh, I think it was the 17th century. And I I was reading his little booklet on love and he he helped me understand something, which we know, but when I thought about it this way, it helped me. If sin had not entered the world, imagine what community would look like. Imagine Adam and Eve actually were able to be fruitful and multiply before the fall. And he he used the the phrase that in that scenario, the love of God and and of others would be enthroned before us. That we would be a community, we would be a world whose main concern is one, the love of God... And two, our love for one another. Could you imagine that world? As I'm thinking about it, one day we will be in that world. That world will be present in this world. And that is the hope that we we long for. But that's not what happened. What happened was, sin entered the world before Adam and Eve were fruitful and multiplied. And so in that point, we have a community that doesn't look to the throne of love for God and love for others. But they have dethroned the love of God and for the love of others. And they have put in its place self-love. And that's a term that gets thrown around these days by people who say you need to take care of yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to consider yourself. That is sin and the sense of living for ourselves and this is the world that we now live in we live in a world where we cannot love god and love others because in our sin we love ourselves too much But what has God done? He is redeeming that love. He has put him, He has put that love back on the throne through loving sinners, through the cross of Christ. He, he is, he is uh, let me just I believe uh, I've got it here. He says, now the Lord Jesus, having redeemed lost man and repaired his ruins, makes up the breach, especially restoring the fundamental ordinance of our creation and uniting men again to God and to one another. So in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we can actually move towards that community of loving God and loving others because of what Christ has done, what God has done through Christ, and that is to love us the way we ought to love, right? And what is it? What is it? Um, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. To those whom he is saving, he's calling to us, To follow Him. And how are we to follow Him? Here's another scripture. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. What do you do on a cross? You die. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily. Now what do you think could come out of that? Of denying self and taking up a cross. I think we could get some actual godly love out of that. I think we could follow in the loving footsteps of Christ. But not just saving us in a justifying way and calling us to love a certain way. But equipping us to actually be able to do it. To enabling us by this new birth by this divine miracle of God pulling out your stone-cold heart and giving you a beating, fleshly heart that feels, that, that is humble, that considers others more significant than yourself. He does it and enables you by the Spirit. Let me read this for you. For the sake of time, let me just read it to you Um, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us whoever keeps his commandments which he just told us to love abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit capital S whom he has given us not only has He justified us from our sin counted us as righteous He has called us to love like He has He has shown us the path but He has also given us His Spirit in order that we might walk those steps He tells through Ezekiel I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules and here's the rule to love To love him, to love your neighbor, to love your brother, to love your friend, to love your enemy. And here we are, separated as the body of Christ from the rest of the world, different from everyone else, not because of what we have done, but because of his love, because of his grace. What He has done for us. And Jesus is saying in the, in the rest of this passage that we're looking at this morning, and the rest of our time in this section, is that our love towards others, how we love others, whether they're a brother or an enemy, should distinguish us from everyone else. It should distinguish us from everyone else. And that's what Jesus is getting at in these last few verses. Let's start at 45. We're just going to work our way down. Knowing that in 44, He has said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In 45, He he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is the very idea of what I'm trying to get at. The true children of God love like their Father. Let me say it again. The true children of God love like their heavenly Father. That's, that's what Jesus wants them to know here. But then he goes on to say in the end of 45, uh, 45, For he, God, the Father, makes his Son, S-U-N, in the sky, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and And on the unjust, basically, he's saying this imitate your father. Do what he does. I think I might have used this example Wednesday night. Or, no, somebody. I don't know how, if ever I do something with a hammer, I turn to my right, and what does Shep got? A hammer. And he's wanting to knock something like daddy's doing. Right? He, he is imitating what I am doing because He looks up to me. He honors me. He respects me. He knows that what Daddy is doing is probably good. Now that's the innocent faith of a child, right? Knowing one day that not everything that Daddy does is going to be good. And that's the faith that we're called to have. Faith like a child that looks at our Heavenly Father and says... What He does is good. I may not understand it, but I want to do it so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And we we mentioned last week as we finished on that verse that 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 is not your step towards salvation, but that is how you will act if you have salvation as a child of God. Now notice... Notice in 45, the end of 45, he helps us to understand what love of the Father looks like. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good. Now notice that one word before the word Son. Whose Son is it? It's His. It is His Son. This morning, all across the world, not just in Fulton County, not just in Arkansas, not just in America. All across the world, people were waking up. Here's, Hear me now. As haters of God. As rebels to God. Some of them religious rebels. Some of them agnostic haters. They come in all types. But they woke up this morning and heaven help us. There may be some of us in here who woke up haters of God, rebels to the person, the being that gave them life and brought the sun up this morning. But He did it. He gave them another day despite their rebellion, despite their their sin. He gave them another day. And not only that, He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's providing daily the necessities of life for those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. Christ. Now we might look around the world and we might look down our street and say, that guy, I know, hates God, but did you see what he's driving? Do you see how many kids they've been blessed with? Oh, how their garden grows. That's called the love of God. That's the love of God to His creation. It's, It's... uh theologically it's known as common grace, and not common as if um, not as if it's low value, like everyone gets some of it because it it doesn't cost a lot. It's common love, common grace because everyone gets to be a participant in it. God shows his love for even the unjust and the evil, By blessing them with life, with all the things that they have. And it's actually to their detriment. Apart from an awakening, they will never give thanks, they will never look at the sunrise and give glory to God. But as they watch a sunrise as a rebel to God, they are being damned. They are being condemned. They are incurring. They are bringing upon the wrath of God themselves. Same for the rain. Same for the blessing of children. Same for the big bank account. Same for the nice job. Same for the the four wheels. Same for the house. Or do you presume on the riches of the king, of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment. Will be revealed. If you hear my voice today. And you are one of those people. Who have received blessing from God. And you have not in Christ. Give thanks and glory to him. In faith. All of that kindness. Is going to be used against you. At the day of judgment. He will show you all that he did for you. And said you did not turn. You did not repent. You did not believe. And therefore, you are being damned by the blessings that you received. God could bring this to an end. All this common grace, He could bring it to an end today, individually, collectively. It could all be gone. So how should you love? Jesus is telling us, just like your Father, in His common love and grace, there is no distinction. He gives that blessing to those who love Him and to those who hate Him. Now, who are we? Who are we to withhold love? To anyone. To anyone. Those who love us or those who hate us. Now, we have to make one distinction here and turn to Philippians, I'm sorry. First Corinthians 13. As we make a distinction now there have been people over time who see the mandate to love all and have actually used it in a bad sense to love all. In a way that maybe you should only love your spouse. Do you notice that this love that is being described of, uh, of making the sunrise and bringing on the rain. That that is not an intimate love like He has for His bride. You see this? God has a love for His bride or the the church that is an intimate knowledge and love that we share with Him that not all know. It is not common. But only for those who are in Christ. And that's why that's why Paul could tell Ephesus, love, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her, the bride. So a, a call to love all, I don't mean like you love your wife. That is intimate between you and your spouse. And that is a the love that you have for your spouse is a reflection is an image pointing us to the love that Christ has for His church. So there is a distinction. That's why theologians have put that word common in front of grace. But we, as believers, have received a grace that is saturated in intimate love. Love that sent a son to the cross. So So then how do we love everyone if we're not to love them like we love our spouse? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is when you think of it in this perspective, it's a not it's not an easy chapter. When you think of that that love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13 and Jesus tells us to love this way ooh that's tough so let's let's do something i'm going to read this and i'm going to add an object to the end of each statement because it's easy to walk through this and go through verse 4 through 7 And we have wedding bells in our minds. But we who are experienced post wedding bells know that even verses four through seven in a relationship is very, very hard. But let's take it a step further. Verse four love is patient with an enemy, love is kind with an enemy. Love is not arrogant with an enemy or rude with an enemy. Love is not irritable with an enemy or resentful with an enemy. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing with an enemy. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things with an enemy. I don't know about you. I feel a little inadequate for that. And the reality is, and we've touched on this throughout the last few weeks, the extremes is neighbor and enemy. Someone who's easy to love and someone who's really hard to love, but guess how many people are in between? Guess how many people aren't your actual neighbor or your actual enemy? It goes back to the parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at this week, last week. It's anyone. That definition of love is to be applied in our lives to anyone. this is again where we come like we saw in psalm 119 this morning in sunday school where he's just like you got to do this lord you've got to do this because my heart is inclined for what as the psalmist said selfish gain what love That is defined in 1 Corinthians 13 is going to come from a heart that is inclined to selfish gain. None. Right? And that leads us into verse 46. Because look what he says. Jesus is really going to start digging in on this distinction for those who love, are called to love and to, to follow in his ways of love. He says, 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, that could be misread to say, oh, we, okay, we do this for a reward. No, 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 his words, he uses his words to make a distinction. If you were to run a race, if you were to run a race, what are you, what's the purpose of your running? To win, right? If you win, what do you receive? The reward. If you receive the reward for winning, what has happened to you? You have been distinguished as the one who has excelled in that competition. You are distinguished from the rest of the crowd because you did the best. So Jesus is just saying, "Hey, let's look let's look around at the world. And let let's see if we can be distinguished from the rest. Look what he does. He gives us two groups. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Do the tax collectors not love those who love themselves or who love them back? And a tax collector is not someone who you would think is loving. And that day, a tax collector for the is for the Jew was actually. Probably a Jew who has turned on his brother for the sake of Roman power and gain. And they could pocket some money as they went and collected taxes from their brother. Deceitful, greedy people turned into tax collectors among the Israelites, the Jews. And he says, Jesus says, what reward do you have if you can love like them? Not that you're wanting to gain a reward, but that you're wanting to love better than them. You're wanting to excel. You're wanting to be different. And then he adds, and if you greet, verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? And then he brings in this other group. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So in this case... We could say, do not even the people who do not have my law, who have not been given my word, can they not experience and show love to some degree to their brother? So let's not put ourselves on the same level of those who don't have the law, who have not been blessed with the oracles of God. Let's not put ourselves on the same levels of tax collectors and only love as they are able to love. Basically because of the common grace that God allows them because they are made in the image of God. No, I'm calling you to love like me. I'm calling you to love like the Father who loves even those who hate Him. So... If you love those who love you, what is your expectation? That you're going to get something in return, right? If Jesus is saying that's not enough, there's something wrong with being uh, satisfied and just loving those who are going to love you back. If you're uh, if you're into stocks and investments, if you're a financial person, there's a term you might know, uh, ROI, return on investment. And what is that? It's a measure for people, for investors who have to give up their own resources or money in order to make more money. And what they do is they can calculate how much they are receiving. Their return based on what they gave. And that's what, our, that's what these relationships Jesus is talking about. They're measuring how much they want to give, how much love they would want to offer, as long as they got a return on their investment and they got a little bit of love back. Right? I will only give of myself, because that's what ultimately how Jesus defines love. How God defines love. Giving of oneself. I'm only willing to do that as long as I know they're going to give me a little bit back. That's what he's saying. That's not good enough. Uh, I don't know if I wrote it down. Man like love as these tax collectors and Gentiles, man-like love is loving love, or loving for love. Christ-like love is loving hate. I'm not saying it right. I wish I would have wrote it down. But the point being is that everyone in this world can love someone who loves them. But those who are in Christ strive to love those who hate them. And that's that distinction, that divide that has taken place in this world. The sheep from the goats. Are you pursuing love with all people. Are you following in the footsteps of a crucified Christ? You see that? Not just a Savior, not just a Christ, but a crucified Christ. Right? It begins with trusting in a crucified Christ, believing in the One who loved His enemies So much that as they nailed Him to a cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He expressed the love He was calling us to on the cross in more ways than one. Father, forgive them. It starts with with acknowledging that His love for you is personal. That his love for you upon the cross was personal. That you as his enemy put him on the cross. To pay for your sins. But thanks be to God that our crucified Christ. Is our resurrected Lord. Which means what? It means that by the spirit of God through faith. Not only as He loves us through taking upon our sin on the cross, but in His resurrection, in saving us, He resurrects our self-loving hearts. He resurrects our self-absorbed hearts to love others, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, count others more significant than ourselves, and love our enemy. And so today, because today is today, now is now, I call all of you, I call every person, I, I call all unbelievers who are living a life for themselves, who saw the sun rise this morning and did not glorify God, to believe on Jesus, to repent of your sins and to be saved. And follow in obedience as a public confession of faith through baptism. That is number one. And not do not delay on that faith. Do not delay on that repentance. Do not delay on that public confession. Because guess what? The sun may not rise tomorrow. You may not get another chance. And let's close and just read Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 I'm going to read verse 1 backwards, okay? As beloved children, meaning children who have been loved by God, therefore be imitators of God. Verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I pray you dwell on those two verses this week. You cannot be lukewarm and be an imitator of God. You cannot walk in love and be lukewarm. You cannot give yourself up for others and for Christ if you're on the fence. And as verse 2 says, you want to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those who are on the fence, those who are lukewarm, those who claim the name of Christ and do not look like, do not seek to be imitators of God and walk in love, they are a smelly stench To God. I know I don't want to be harsh, but that's the reality. There's always, always grace, grace upon grace, through faith in Christ. Let's pray.